Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce Kristen Shilton of ESPN. Thanks so much, Kristen, for taking the time and, and coming on. Uh, how's it going? Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, things are good. How about with yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm I'm really excited to to talk a bit about your career and in the NHL and and ESPN. So I first want to get started with with your career. Was there a moment in time, or, or when did you first think you might want to pursue a career in in sports journalism? Well, it's funny. I uh, I live now back you know on the same block essentially where I sort of made the decision that I wanted to go into sports media. I had graduated from uh, Wilfrid Laurier University and I had a degree in English and I was working as a copywriter and I just spent like all my time listening to sports podcasts and reading about sports on the internet and I was like, I'm a really bad employee because I'm not doing what I should be doing. <laughs> and it was just clear to me that my passion wasn't in that sort of writing. It really was in in sports and I really wanted to pursue that. Uh, so ultimately, I went to my boss and I said, I'm going back to school. And he was like, you're crazy. And I said, bye. And off I went. Uh, and that was really the impetus of it for me was, you know, you have something that you're really passionate about and something that draws you in. And it's what you want to spend your time doing. Then why wouldn't you try to pursue it as a career? So uh, for me, it just came down to sports being something that filled me up in a way that everything else I had done never really had. And I think, you know, certainly as a woman, I, I didn't see myself represented very much in sports journalism. I might've made the decision faster if I had, but at a certain point it's like, well, there's gotta be space for everybody. Right. So once I kind of made that decision, um, it was just, there was no going back. And and with that, maybe tell us a bit about your journey. Cause I know you went to Syracuse. Um, I know you, you worked in the AHL a bit. Maybe just tell us your journey a little bit from from how you started when you decided to make your decision to go all in and then to where you are now at ESPN. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I knew that I wanted to pursue this, I figured I better figure out how to go from, you know, someone who had just studied Shakespeare for four years to someone who was, you know, not to be writing academic essays, but was going to be writing hopefully compelling content. So um, I found a journalism program that was still accepting. This was in the summer, so I, they were still accepting um, placements for the fall. So I ended up going to Loyalist College in Belleville for uh, a year. And that was really foundational for me just in terms of what does a news story look like? How does one make it as a journalist? Uh, and then after that, I felt like I still, after only 10 months, wasn't really gonna have you know the legs that I needed to get into the industry so that's when I applied to Syracuse I got in there and you know the the Newhouse Mafia is real so they call the Newhouse School uh, of Media there and it was unbelievable it was most intense 10 months of my life for sure um, academic life um it was just like a boot camp literally of um, you know, how to make it essentially in, in the business. And it was hard. We got a lot of hands-on experience. I worked for the Syracuse Post Standard. I was covering Colgate hockey, um, mm. Syracuse sports, uh, all sorts of really cool things. And then, uh, yeah, just sort of snowballed from there. I 
got an internship at a school with the NFL that turned into a job with the Chicago Wolves hockey team. Uh, that turned into a job with USA Today where I got to cover the NHL. Uh, eventually that's what brought me back to Toronto with TSN covering the Leafs. And then finally, um, almost two years ago now, wow, two years in October, uh, ESPN had an opening and um, it's it's been crazy to see you know, to go from a beat for five years one on one team and then now to be covering all thirty two teams. It's been it's been quite a ride. I think I've done it all at this point. I've covered yeah. everything from junior B to the NHL. So I've seen it all. <laughs> and and with that, I know you're a big Leafs fan. When you were a reporter for TSN covering the Leafs, how much how impartial were you? How did you like what was your process for that? Like did you stay a Leafs fan? Uh how was that like for you? So it wasn't, yeah, I feel like people think that I was like this massively fan before I got the job, but uh, that wasn't really my, okay. you know, my experience in terms of fandom. I think I never really felt like that was uh, still sort of, once you get into the business, for me, the fandom part just, it, it goes away because you, you don't have the ability to be a fan of one team anymore. Not, and it's not about impartiality as so much as it's, it's almost like you peel back the mm-hmm. the curtain on it. And so it, it just becomes less of uh uh it just it just wasn't really a thing for me by the time I got to the Leafs. I didn't feel like I, I was a I'm a fan of players. I'm a fan of coaches. Okay. There's there's definitely people in this um sport that I root for that I have a ton of respect for. And you always hope for for those people that, that things go well. But in terms of actually being a fan of the Leafs, I never felt like that factored mm-hmm. in for me. Okay. And and I know you mentioned writing a bit, um, obviously going from being in English and, and writing about Shakespeare to to now. For you, what's your process like when you're when you're writing for ESPN and and in your past as well? Yeah, it's definitely different now at ESPN than it was with TSN because there was such um an emphasis at TSN on the day to day. So it was like you go to practice and Travis Dermott's not there and how are they going to juggle the lines and that was always the first part was just what's the news of the day and so my process then was was very much go what's happening that day what's the key quote of the day that someone said Um, there wasn't really a lot of room for longer form creative sort of feature ideas and that's exactly what I do at ESPN now is that my my process, like, obviously, I'm in Toronto. I'm very lucky uh, that my bosses didn't need me to move um, somewhere else. So, you know, our sort of hub is obviously in Bristol, Connecticut, but our writers are spread out. So the biggest difference for my process now is that there's no office. There's nowhere that I go. Like, I'll go to the practice ring and see the, you know, leaf or if there's another team in town I want to talk to. And obviously I go to games, but it's not really the same. So you have to be extremely self-motivated because <laughs> your boss, you know, your boss is like on Slack being like, oh yeah, no, it'd be great if you could write a story about this and give sort of a very large, vague topic. And you're like, okay, so now I've got to map this out myself. It's not like it was at TSN where I'd go in and be sitting across with my boss and we'd be talking about something we might want to do that's longer it's Mm -hmm. it's more just here's the seed now go make something grow and that's great when your creativity is flowing and you feel 
good and it's awful and you're in, in a fog and have no idea what you're going to write about. So um, I like to sit down and ask myself, okay, if this is the end goal, what would I want to read about? And what would be interesting to me? And I feel like because I have seen so much and because I have, I think, a pretty good pulse in the league, okay. I, I know that people don't like boring. And so I try to always come up with some sort of hook. And Lance Hornby, actually, shout out to Lance. I always think that he writes the most creative, most interesting leads. And he always has fun with it. And I try to take a little bit of Lance um, for a lot of my feature stories and try to do something fun um, to bring the audience in. So that's that's the first part. Once I get sort of the lead, I get the idea, um, then you're just mapping it out for yourself and, and trying to decide what would be interesting for a viewer to hear about, what they're not going to care so much about. Um, and yeah, it's changed a lot. Uh, definitely at Pen, just because there's no one, not that I would have needed it before the, the kick in the pants, but it's definitely now there's a very much a sense of, you know, you, you, you're sort of figuring it out, uh, uh, on your own. And the other part of ESPN is, is writing news stories, which I didn't do a lot of, um, uh, well, I guess I did and I didn't with TSN, but this is more, you know, writing game stories. And I didn't do a ton of that towards the end because uh, I was doing more radio uh, at TSN. So that's been uh, an interesting part of of my uh, journey here as well. And I know you also do broad, like you're on broadcast as well. And what are some of the key elements for you to being a good broadcaster or being on TV? Yeah, that, I didn't have any formal real training on the broadcast side when I got to TSN. Um, I was always just a writer and um, I, learning on the job was amazing. Honestly, I, I think it was the best education I could have had. Um, being on the bench, doing bench interviews, uh, things are crazy. You're doing live shots sometimes where, you know, that red light goes and ready or not, you've just, you've just got to go. Um, I think the key that I had to learn was I'm someone who, given the opportunity, would want to memorize, like, this is exactly what I'm going to say. And I tried that the very first time, and it was awful. Because <laughs> if you forget, like, one word, you're suddenly you're off yeah. the rails, and you're like, well, no, I don't remember. So I think the one key or the number one key for me is just know – if you know what you're talking about, which obviously you do – don't plan it out so much. Just go into your live hit or whatever it is you're doing, your interview. And just, if you know the material, it's just going to flow, right? You don't you don't really need to have a script. And as soon as I let go of that idea of like the perfect, you know, things that I was going to say or the way I was going to deliver it, I felt like I got a lot better. And that was true of radio as well. Because um, mm. radio was kind of the same thing where I used to like, write everything down that I was going to say. And I was like, don't forget to say this. No, no, no. And then of course I'm in the middle of the, you know, the hit being like, dang, I wrote something down that I was going to say, and I can't remember. And now I'm flustered. So go with the flow. And that's what I think the best broadcasters do. Like, it's yeah. just, it's all about preparation is so key, but once you're prepared, it's kind of like with an exam, right? It's yeah. like you go in and you get your Scantron and you got to do what you got to do. So that's, um, I think, something that I really learned about broadcasting that um, has stuck with me. And it's what I would tell 
any like young broadcaster, don't worry about being perfect because the best reporters that I know are the ones that are a little messier. They're a little bit more seat of their pants and it just makes it more enjoyable to watch. Great. And uh, I want to ask you, you alluded to it a little bit about being a woman or a woman in, in the industry for you. What what was that challenge like for you? Did you have any specific opti- obstacles that you encountered? And maybe what advice would you give to young women coming up in the hockey media industry? Yeah, it was, I hope it's gotten better. You know, I, I don't notice it as much now. And I think that that has to do with having been at it for as long as I have. And I also, the thing is, I hate to say it, but it's like, it seems like the way that women are treated, it's, it's just, it seems like it's so much about their physical appearance and the way that they look. So I look at somebody like Jackie Redmond, who is just, you know, she's this absolutely gorgeous broadcaster. And it feels like people come for her about her outfits or her makeup or her hair. And I'm just thinking that has nothing to do with how good she is or what she does. It's like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And the, the criticisms that I really faced early on, there was, there was two prongs. There was the ones who would say, you never played the game you've never been in that position how can you possibly write about it or report on it and then there's the other side that says well if you you know if you weighed 300 pounds and were covered in acne nobody would ever hire you and I'm like that's insane and so there was those two prongs of criticism and the one what are you gonna do like people like people who want to be piggish about it there's nothing you can do but coming at somebody for their ability and like Kevin McGrin's never played professional hockey either. Lance Hornby never has. Mark Masters never has. People like I don't recall Elliot Friedman ever stepping onto the ice in an NHL game. No. But these are all people that are brilliant in what they do. And that's the difference is that women, I think, get criticized because oh, you just want to get in the dressing room. You're just looking for, you know, a yeah. man. You just want attention. Yeah. And that never stung me the way that I think it has for other women. Um, mm. Just because what are you going to do? It just doesn't there, even when I was coming up and, and it would be, there was one instance I remember where I was being criticized on Twitter and um, a, another reporter, a soccer reporter here in Toronto, he came to my defense. And then mm. of course he came to my defense Then other people were coming at him. And in the end I reached out to him and I was like, that was so great of you to do, but it's not necessary. Like I I'm okay. And, and he yeah. said, you know, it is though, because like you deserve to have, you know, the same amount of respect that anybody else would get. Yeah. And that was eye opening for me was that not just that I was being treated badly and didn't maybe get it as much as I did, but that it was noticeable to other people. So I think my advice to anyone coming in is just understanding that, I think we do at least live in a bit of a different world now where women are more accepted in, in sports, but also you could be criticized in any industry. Yeah. And if you don't, you know, if, if you don't have that thick skin coming in, it's just not going to, it might not work for you. You might not be cut out for, um, you know, what, what this industry is because the other part of it is 
people have very passionate feelings about sports. So even man or woman, you're going to get heat for what you write. There are like people now, they'll say like, this is crazy. Like, how could you write this? Or what is this opinion? Or like, you know, whatever. And criticism of the work I can take because that's your prerogative. But if you can't handle like criticism of yourself or criticism of your work, it's going to be tough for you. It'll be doubly tough as a woman, but you just have to have that that mm-hmm. sense of yourself coming in. I think I think you put it very well in, in your your answer to that tough question. Thank you, Kristen. I want to go to something a bit lighter, and um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you a little hypothetical question. If you were the NHL commissioner for one day and you could change one rule, what would it be? Oh, it's got to be offside. Okay. The offside wow. rule, just the offside review, I just, it drives me crazy because it's become so ticky-tacky and it feels like the, it just takes the flow out of the game and there's all these interpretations and I just, I'm a purist. I just think like there's just got to be something, there's got to be a, a different way to go about it than yeah. all these little like, ugh. Are we are we looking for like a millimeter of escape blade? And is is that the true essence of the game? I don't know. I just I think if I was commish, I would use my entire twenty four hours to be like, how can we get this right? What can we do better when it comes to offside and the offside review and all of that? Because it just drives me nuts. No, no, I, I definitely get that. Uh, it's <laughs> it's definitely the worst. I think I was I was at a leafs uh sends game and they scored in the last minute i think the brinkett did and then they mm-hmm. pulled it back they the sends actually scored after uh again but you're kind of can i even celebrate so it's not really the oh, best it's not it's the there's just got to be a better way i yeah. i know there could be i could if i could just you know if i could just see the commission's books yeah i, I bet i could figure it out yeah yeah <laughs> exactly and and going to the leafs a little bit obviously you don't cover them day to day like you used to, but I want to ask you because it's been a crazy little uh, time for the Leafs in the past couple of weeks. What do you make of the departure of Kyle Dubas and, and what kind of GM do you think would be the right? Would it be a new school type, an older school type that it seems like they're linked to Brad Trill living? What, what do you make of the whole situation? I would say it's not unexpected, but I wouldn't necessarily have pegged it to go down quite so dramatically like that was a succession-esque press conference that we witnessed from British Anaheim it was insane I've never had that sort of breakdown of this is exactly hour by hour how it happened and I think that was that really caught me off guard it, it definitely I think speaks to what must have been going on behind the scenes. And it must have been a very quick unraveling of a relationship essentially between Shanahan and Dubas, because that just doesn't happen without that kind of, um, you know, without those sort of dramatics. So I was surprised by that very much. Um, And you hear about, you know, what Dubas might've wanted, the autonomy that he obviously wanted, um, you know, whether it was access to board meetings or whether it was more of a say in, in how things were being run. Um, but he obviously wanted to be more on Shanahan's level. And if that wasn't what Shanahan wanted, well, that's his, um, you know, that's where he gets to make the decision as president. But 
I would think having gone the route of a new GM that now Shanahan's going to look for someone with more experience. I personally think Brad Trelevin would be great. I think he would be a great balance of old and new school. I think he mm-hmm. gets it. And at the same time, um, would be someone who comes with a lot of experience, someone who has been in the trenches, has been through, um, you know, winning seasons, losing seasons, just has seen has seen a lot and knows how to build a team. Um, I think we kind of forget how good the Flames were last year. I think there was a coaching issue there that, you know, ultimately led to the departure of players that, you know, maybe would have stayed if that hadn't been the case. So I, I think when it comes to the Leafs, there needs to be some experience there on the GM side. I also wonder about the coach. I wonder what's going to happen with Sheldon Keefe because would he want to stay with the new GM and with the regime being in this state of flux? Is that even something that interests him? Does he want a fresh start? Do the Leafs want a fresh start? It's There's a lot of question marks. I just think they also need to make those decisions quickly because the slower the process, I think the more uncertainty it puts into players' minds and staff minds. And you just, you want, after that press conference, you really want some good news for your people. What would you do with the core four? Would you break it up? Would you keep it back? Or would you, yeah, what would you do? (sighs) The core four, so much drama. But um, (laughs) if, if I'm Toronto, I just think, Making a change for the sake of change never works out well. In unless you truly felt like there was a player amongst them that required a fresh start, that required moving on. I I don't think that they've been the problem in the sense of, you know, they have been a problem in the play. Okay, we could say that. Their lack of uh, you know, the the lack of production obviously is an issue when it comes to the postseason. You see how your best players have to be your best players um, at the best time of year. But does that mean that you don't want Mitch Barner for the other 85 games of the year? Does it, you know, do you, would it's, I think you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't with that group. Because yeah. if you trade somebody and it doesn't get better, well, then you just traded a world-class player for nothing. And if you trade someone and it does work, well, then if you're Shanahan, you've kind of got a little egg on your face for all of the years that you refuse to trade anybody. So I personally would keep them together um, because it's sort of like you, you've you been walking this path for so long that at a certain point, this is, this is them in their prime. And this is what you've been waiting for. And why would you trade 25-year-old Mitch Marner? Why would you trade 26-year-old William Elander? We sure as hell not trading Austin Matthews. So, I mean, John Tavares, no one's going to take that contract anyway. So what's, I would just say not run it back, but run bring it, it back. back. Yeah. Bring it back. Maybe that's the, that's <laughs> maybe the new, phrase, new phrase. Um, uh, You had a really interesting article about how the Florida Panthers made the Stanley cup and, and everyone should check it out at ESPN. But for you, if you had to ha- have a pick of who their con Smythe winner would be if they were to win the cup um, or MVP so far of the playoffs. Would it be Bobrovsky? Would it be Kachuk? Who would your pick be? 
Oh, it's so hard to pick between Bobrovsky and Kachuk, but it's got to be Bobrovsky. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's literally lost one game since the first round. Like, game four against Toronto, that's it. I mean, yes, Matthew Kachuk has scored some huge goals, and that has been massive. But to be in position, to be able to score in a one-goal game, you need phenomenal goaltending. And watching that Eastern Conference final and the way the Bobrovsky shut out Carolina – I mean, I think the Panthers had two shots on goal in the like in an entire period. Like they were not generating anything. And if Bobrovsky doesn't stand on his head, you're not in the position Matthew Kuchuk's in coming in for to win that series the way he did. So I think Bobrovsky has just from start to finish since he stepped in. And sure, you can say, oh well, he didn't start the series, and Alex Lyon played, you know, those first couple of games. But a that wasn't his decision, and b he's done everything that he could have since he's gotten his opportunity. And Kachuk didn't score the entire second round. Like he didn't do a whole lot actually against the Leafs. So yes, he, you know, uh, obviously had those two big or three big goals against Carolina. But if you're looking at the whole body of work, I'm given the consonants of Bobrovsky and unless Kachuk has a, just a monster cup final. I don't see how Bobrovsky is not getting it. I think you convinced me because I think I was more Kachuk before you uh, gave <laughs> me uh, uh, the whole uh, spiel about uh, Bobrovsky. So I think I think you convinced me. Um, obviously, there's still another Western. There's still the Western Conference Finals on. Um, what have you made of that series? And and do you think Dallas can come back and complete a three uh, zero comeback? Oh, Vegas. Vegas, you can't bet on them, which is so ironic. Uh, I feel like I've seen this before from the Golden Knights, where like even last year, where at the end of the regular season, they couldn't win their way into a postseason spot. It was like they had their opportunity. It was right there for them, and they just couldn't get there. Uh, no, I. it's so hard to come back from being down the way that Dallas was. Really impressive performance, obviously. Uh, Ty Dillinger scoring in 2 OT, that's great. But I don't know. I don't know. Do you have two more in you? Mm-hmm. After, you after that one, like, that's emotion, right? Like, that, there's just so much kind of riding on that. And then to go into another game, and then you've got another game after that. I, I don't know. I would say I'm going to stick with the Golden Knights. I, I think I said Vegas in six. So I think I'm still on track. You're still, you're still but, there. But uh, I, I think Jamie Benn coming back, though, I mean, what does that do, right, for Dallas? Um, that was such a t- stupid decision by him anyway. And in, yeah. in uh, what was that game three? Three, yeah. Uh, game three. So that was uh, not the kind of energy that the stars needed. But hey, they rallied, right? And there's nothing scarier than a team that's resilient. So yeah. I guess there's there's definitely uh, I could see it going either way. But I still think at this point we're going to see Vegas, Florida. So if it's a Vegas versus a Florida Panthers matchup, who do you have? How many games? What do you think of that series if that is the series? I have bet against the Panthers or gone against the Panthers in every single round. So I'm going Florida, man. I, I'm doing it because <laughs> this is – I said Carolina for the Cup. I thought I was right on track. I was like, there's no way the Carolina's not going to – so Florida in six. That's okay. what I'm saying. I'm going with the Cats. May as well. Yeah. Well, 
Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for, for taking the time and coming on. I just want to give you the floor. Is there anything at ESPN that you're working for, uh, working on that you want to plug? Anything that listeners should uh, stay tuned for? Well, definitely um, keep checking us out for uh, the cup final. I've got another fun Florida Panthers piece. I think it's coming out. Um, today is a Monday, uh, and I believe it will be coming out at some point this week as we wait uh, to find out their opponents so that hopefully people like that uh but otherwise yeah we're just um we're gonna be plugging along we'll have our big um mega preview of the cup final whenever we get our opponent for that one so uh definitely check out uh, espn.com slash nhl and you'll see our bylines there well thank you so much Kristen, for taking the time i really appreciate it and uh, excited to to read uh, about the florida panthers and uh, the stanley cup finals <laughs> at espn.com so thanks so much for taking the time well thank you for having me i appreciate it